but also I think kind of on a different level just being loved for who they are and not what they can do it's very easy to look at somebody and think for anything you know well I wouldn't do that but you have to trust the person that loves that horse you know instead of applying more pressure think okay what can I do to make this clearer to the horse how can I set this up so that that is their answer to, to the problem you know you just have to do the best you can yeah. at the time and and yeah as long as you're putting the horse first welcome to the horsemanship breakthroughs podcast a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy light and willing partner I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication, so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, episode 12. And in this episode, I'm interviewing Lucy Chester, otherwise known as Halflinger at Liberty on Instagram. Lucy is a freelance instructor and horse trainer who offers lessons in groundwork, liberty and ridden work in the southeast of London in the UK. Lucy has always been passionate about finding a better way to be with horses and having tried a few popular styles of horsemanship over the years and realizing that they didn't quite fit her ethos, she decided to stop looking for humans to teach her and turned instead to her horse, Teo. She primarily uses positive reinforcement, which is reward-based training, and a clicker is her tool of choice. She says that being able to mark an exact behavior is so valuable and easy for the horse to understand. She is passionate about giving horses autonomy so they have a voice and participate as equals in sessions. She teaches clients of all ages and from all disciplines. She says having a good relationship with your horse makes you safer, perform better and have more fun. It is so much more enjoyable when you do things together in harmony. Doing groundwork doesn't mean you can't ride and it doesn't mean you need to ride bareback or without a bit. It's about your mindset and how you ride or work with your horse, not what you use. Lucy teaches people with full tack as well as those without any. The principles are the same. In this interview, we dive into Lucy's horsemanship journey, how she got into positive reinforcement with her horse, Teo, who simply wouldn't handle any pressure, her tips for separation anxiety, Teo's joint problems, why she does use a bit despite feeling the pressure to not use one, as usual, the controversial questions, who inspires her, and so much more. I know you're going to love this interview. Before we get started, I just need to apologize again about the audio quality. Unfortunately, there is an echo sometimes after I talk, which sounds like there's a monster repeating what I have to say. It's just some strange echo that happened at the time of the recording and I couldn't fix it. So I'm sorry about this. One day I will get the audio perfect, but until then, I hope that you'll forgive me. And I know that the content is super valuable, so I know you're going to love it. And let's get started with my interview with Lucy Chester on the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Okay, welcome Lucy to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sure that our listeners are going to get so much out of today's conversation. So thank you once again and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. 
let's get stuck into the first question. So first, can you tell us about your horsemanship journey to date, when you got into horses and what has led you to where you are today? And um, so I got into horses um, when I was seven. I started riding, although I begged my parents from age two, but they just couldn't afford for me to have lessons. Um, and then I got into kind of horsemanship when I was about nine. I went to a local county fair and watched somebody doing a demo in Roundpen. Um, and then, oh, and I read loads of books after that. And um, for birthdays and things, I would just ask for, there was a book called Whispering Back, um, and then I moved into natural horsemanship with uh, share ponies that I had, um, followed various different mainstream methods. Um, and then when I bought Teo, I moved into positive reinforcement because he just uh, couldn't handle pressure. So he has been my greatest teacher. Wow, that's so interesting. Uh, I, I also came from a like non-horsey family and had to beg my parents for a horse. So we're very lucky, lucky that our parents gave in, in a way. Um, and I just wanted to know what, I know you said like a few different types of horsemanship. Do you know what methods they were? Can you let us know or can you not remember? Or <laughs> um, Well, I tried so many different things. So I read um, loads of different books by kind of, um, mainstream and then also more local people mm-hmm. um, but I went to Monty Roberts demos oh, yeah. um, with friends when I was younger because he comes I'm based quite near London so we get quite a few big people come here um, and I followed Pirelli for probably six years mm-hmm. um, and then yeah since then I've moved moved on. Wow. And I know that it was Teo that kind of, I guess, led you to re- positive reinforcement, but was there mm. someone in particular that inspired you or did you just stumble across it? Or why did you think, mm, maybe I should try positive reinforcement now? Well, I think I'd always used it to an extent. I've always used food and training. Um, I was actually quite badly bullied for that um, by some ladies on our yard that were very much the other end of the spectrum. Um, so I was trying to use both for a long time. Um and I guess I, I've just been inspired by so many people, mostly from Instagram, um, who were using positive reinforcement, um, like my friend Menia, who is uh, Nornia on Instagram. Um, she was a big inspiration for me. Um, and yeah, just there's so many people out there doing amazing things. And I just, I just, I guess, tried different things with Teo and that's what, what suited him best. Instagram is so good for that and social media in general because we can get inspiration from people all over the world that previously we wouldn't have had access to. And I guess now those traditional kind of training methods are being challenged in a way because we're able to reach more people with more positive methods. So that's fantastic. Um, Could you let us know what a day in the life of Lucy looks like? Well, at the moment we're in lockdown. (laughs) So um, I'm not um, able to work, um, but it means I get to spend loads of time with Teo. Um, so kind of in the afternoons, I go down and um, do all the chores, the poo picking, the mucking out, um, and then I try and exercise in most days. Um, but normally if I'm teaching, I'm uh, kind of out from the crack of dawn doing back-to-back lessons um, and then doing Teo as well. So um, I'm really looking forward to getting back to some normality. Yes. I suppose there is a bit of a silver lining there, though, in that you're able to spend more time with Tayo. So that's good. Yeah, 
it's been amazing and more time studying and learning and and things so it, and it's been nice to have a rest because my life is pretty hectic normally so it's not not been too bad yeah and when you do have your kind of normal day-to-day routine do you struggle to fit Teo in or do you try and fit him in first or how do you have boundaries around that yeah it, it's really tricky um I kind of I usually give him if I've got a big teaching day he'll have the day off um and I I pay to have him looked after because it's just too much I've got chronic fatigue anyway so I need to be careful mm. um but I'll usually still just go down and check him um and say hello because I can't have a day he's the best part of the day um and yeah but I do I often feel quite guilty because I spend all my energy with other people and their horses and then I don't have so much left for him but kind of I think following lockdown and, and all this time I'm going to try and balance it a bit better because that's the whole point isn't it it's you know your horse and your time and and you know I'm he needs a lot of work because of his joint issues and and things so I need to keep him mobile really yeah <laughs> It's funny because my husband knows when I haven't had any horse time because I'm in a really bad really in, in terms of my own horses. <laughs> He's like, you didn't get to ride today, did you? And I'm like, no, can you tell? <laughs> but you feel guilty. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, is Tao the only horse that you have or do you have some other horses? And can you tell us a little bit more about Tao or all of your other horses? So I just have Teo and he is quite enough for yes. any one person. Um, he is very high maintenance. Um, he, yeah, he was a problem pony when I bought him. So he needs a lot to kind of keep him happy and settled. I have to make sure he's in a really strict routine. Um, he had severe separation anxiety when I got him. So um, I kind of, I always need to make sure he's got a friend and um, that I'm kind of, by taking him out hacking and taking him to the arena on his own, you know, that's kind of building his confidence away from them. If, if he doesn't leave them for a certain period, he can get attached again. Um, so he's, he's quite neurotic, I guess, but um, he's also highly, highly intelligent. He's such a great horse to work with because he makes everything so obvious. You know, there's no, if he says no, you know, it's, it's black and white. Um, so that that's why I've learned so much from him, I think. Um, but he's also just the most amazing horse. He's so forgiving and uh, so loyal. You know, he's just and he always delivers. You know, he can be saying no, 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 no to me all the time. And then if somebody's coming to watch, he's like, yeah, I'll do everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works out well. <laughs> Normally it's the other way around. <laughs> I know, but that's true, actually. But I think he knows when it's important. He likes to perform for an audience, maybe. <laughs> he does. He actually does. I'm not joking. He, 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 there's a camera and he is in their face, kind of, get this side, get this side. He loves it. <laughs> that's so good. And obviously you've got to quite a good level with him. I'm assuming he's the horse all over your Instagram. So even though yeah. he, he was a problem horse and he's had issues, it seems like you've been able to work through a lot of that. Um, what was it that drew you to Tao? Like, did you get him because he was a problem horse or was he given to you? Like, why did you actually get him? Um, well, I was looking for a young halflinger gelding um, and I tried quite a few and just didn't click with them. Um, and, and with him, it just sounds so kind of cringy, but I just 
I just knew he was my horse. As soon as I sat on him, I think I just burst into tears, which is mortifying because I'm not normally someone that cries. But it just, I'd lost another horse previous to that, um, who I love very much. And it just, he just seemed like the next right horse. I knew he had problems, although they weren't disclosed, but it was obvious he bolted with me a number of times. And I just, I was a bit arrogant at that point, having done quite a bit of horsemanship. I thought, well, you know, it's nothing I can't fix. He's just napping. Um, but it was so much deeper than that. He had so much trauma. Um, but yeah, that I and he's so cute. Like he's such a nice looking horse as well. I think, you know, I just yeah, I just met him, was like, yeah, that's my horse. He is very handsome. And can you tell us about the Halflinger breed? Do they have any specific traits or quirks? And what is it that you love about them? Like, obviously, you wanted to get one, so there was something about yeah. the breed that, that you liked. Can you tell us more? I don't have much. I haven't had much to do with them, so. But apart from they look amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, over here, if you say to anyone Halflinger, you can guarantee they will tell you a story about some bolshy, rude, difficult Halflinger Um we actually had a dressage coach come onto our yard once and she put one look at Teo and said, how naughty is that one? <laughs> um, they, do, they do have a bit of a reputation um, because, I mean, they're just quirky, um, but it's not, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think they they just very much know their own mind. So they can either work with you or against you, um, which is very much what I experienced with Teo. And once you kind of win their trust and you you kind of just prove to them that you are fun and they can have a good time with you and that you'll keep them safe they will literally do anything for you and I think that's why they say they're the golden horse with the golden heart and that is so cheesy but it's so true you know he will he just he once I kind of got past a certain point with him he just was like I, I trust you with my life kind of thing he like he lay down and went to sleep next to me my it was so nice and for him he's such a stress head with the herd um it kind of I really felt at that point like it was him saying you know you're the next best thing um which which was huge and I I just love them I feel very safe with them um I work with a number of halflingers now um and I first fell in love with them when I went to Austria when I was 14 and we rode them through the mountains and I just felt 100% safe you know they're they're lovely horses I think they're awesome just cheeky yeah <laughs> they sound challenging but very nice we don't really have too many of them over here in Australia but I've always it's on my bucket list of horses like I've got all these breeds that I'd love to have one day <laughs> and yeah. I have halfling is on there so definitely they're great so um do you have a mantra that you like to live by Yes, um, work to live, don't live to work. <laughs> because, oh, like um, yeah, uh, I'm a workaholic. So um, I think it's very easy to, like I said, trying to balance time, Teo, with clients, I think is so important for happiness. Like you said, you know, you and for them to make sure that you're um, kind of just living in the moment and not stressing all the time about how much you have to do. I really I used to work in the film industry and I really fell into that trap um and then when I bought Teo he's kind of the one that made me realize that that just was not healthy so yeah that's from him really that one yeah it's funny how horses teach us how we need to be better humans in our everyday life 
Yeah, they they do honestly, and and I'd always heard that, and I never really understood it until until I bought him and realised actually, you know, there's so many lessons here, not just about horsemanship. Yeah, that's so interesting. But easier said than done, right? Like it's so easy to overwork yeah. yourself, overwhelm yourself, and it's hard to get that kind of happy balance. Mm, especially with social media, you know, it it never ends. You know, you can. Oh, yeah. I, I always feel like I being pulled all over the place by different things that I need to do and like yeah. this podcast which you said yes to <laughs> no I love this kind of thing it's great to meet people oh, <laughs> around the world <laughs> but you do have quite a large Instagram account so I'd imagine that would take up a bit of time as well with lots of comments and messages and that sort of thing so I was just gonna say I've definitely stepped back a little bit from it because it just it's so much and you put so much into it and I love just connecting with people so um yeah I'm, I'm trying to limit my time on there I was spending way too much time on it before yeah oh, that's good sounds like a common theme for you like stepping back and slowing down at the moment yeah <laughs> so can you tell us do you compete or have you got any ambitions of competitive riding with Teo no, um, I don't compete. Um, I would if he enjoyed it. Um, but I think because of his um, kind of separation anxiety that runs really deep, it just would cause him too much stress. Uh, the idea of putting him in a warm up arena, I just, I can't. And with his joint problems as well, you know, I actually, I bought him to show jump. I mean, not anything spectacular because he is 14 one and, uh, you know, a halflinger, but I did want to go out and do some low level um, things, but he just, he can't cope with that. Even when we're out hacking, if we spot another horse, he kind of gets um, het up over it. So yeah, I think that's not something I can do with him, but maybe some online things or or kind of just at our yard, I would do with him. Um, But no, one day I hope I can um, with a future horse, definitely. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like it's something that's like a priority for you at the moment. Um, this isn't on the list of questions, but since you've brought it up, I, I wondered if you could tell us how you have worked through Tayo's separation anxiety. Have you got any tips for our listeners around that? Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, he's he's very extreme. Um, I have found that having a routine really helps. Um, and with him I think initially I just brought him out of the field because it was bringing him away from the herd that was the problem and I would just increase the distance each day that I brought him in um so I think initially it was literally two meters out out of the gate and then I would give him a feed or a carrot in a bucket or something really positive and then I would put him straight back so I think a lot of the fear came from you're taking me away and I'm not confident that I'm going to go back so it was just kind of gradually building that up. And actually, once I got him onto the yard um, and could give him a feed, it kind of that opened up a big um, barrier for him. Um, and, and he got a lot better from that point. But what I do with a lot of clients' horses is I'll use um, targeting. So I'll put cones, um, you know, especially if it's more important that, you know, you can't wait weeks like I could because he was just out in a field and there was no pressure at the time. But sometimes the horses have to come in for treatments or, you know, the farrier or, or something. So you can kind of speed up the process by putting cones. So they go to each cone then they have to touch it and then get a click and a treat. 
and then they go back and, and you can just build it up and that's helped with with quite a few of them as well yeah, just well, making it yeah. give kind of taking their mind off it as well keeping their brain engaged is important because I think it escalates really quickly you know they feel a bit nervous and then it just grows and grows and grows and if you can just interrupt that then then it can help but it's something I always will struggle with with him I think in certain situations yeah wow and I think a lot of people do actually struggle with that um, and people probably don't really like to admit it, you know, um, but often I'll get called out for lessons with a horse that has a bit of separation anxiety, and I have a um, same, same, but different system to you, um, yeah. but it is about, you know, getting a little bit closer each time and not having the expectation of, oh, we've got to get to the arena today. It's like yeah. you need to respect the horse's fear thresholds and work with what they're comfortable with and then retreat, go back to the safe place and then go a little yeah. bit better the next session or, or the next day. So um, I think yeah, it would be good for people to hear that because, you know, people must think sometimes like, oh, I can't even get my horse from the paddock to the stable or to the arena or wherever they need to go. And, yeah, and then I guess yeah. that pressure from outside um, influences, they just think, oh, I'll just, I'll just get there. You know, I'll just, I'll just yeah. let it happen. And then it only escalates, like you say. Completely. So, yeah. Um, now, the next question is, uh, I guess, a little bit related to that. What do you think makes a happy horse? So um, I think a happy horse is a horse that has all his needs met. And I know that is for Teo 100% um, the case. You know, I can do everything right. But if he's not getting enough turnout or he's not getting enough food, then he's going to be stressed. Um, but also, I think kind of on a different level, just being loved for who they are and not what they can do. I think they really appreciate that. I, for a long time, I was frustrated because of Teo's joint problems and his behavioural problems that I couldn't do what I wanted to do with him. And, you know, I was frustrated. I didn't know on which day how comfortable he would be. And I just it got in the way of actually his personality, like his joint problems aside, he's an amazing horse. So it doesn't matter that we can just walk. And, and I think kind of coming to terms with that really made him happier because if you're if you have expectations on them they feel that um and disappointment and then that's awful to say that but at the time you know I'd bought a young horse I wanted to progress him and, and it was really disappointing and I felt sorry for him that he's young and having all these problems um and yeah I would not change him for the world now <laughs> it's irreplaceable that's so nice. And how are you managing his joint problems? What's your strategy? Well, putting a lot of money into him. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that I have. Um, I just, you know, like I said, reducing expectations. We do little but often. I hack him a lot. Um, I walk on foot for good portions of that. So I'm not kind of adding any extra weight for long periods of time. Um, I do... Um, a lot of groundwork as well um liberty and things focusing on i um i've been really inspired by kathy sierra of panther flows um, yes. i've done two of her courses now yes i've got one of her courses the pain science one oh, yeah it's, it's amazing she honestly it was a game changer for teo four years ago he was ready to be retired and and he's still in work kind of five six days a week now um 
using that kind of keeping him strong, um, really high grade joint supplements, um, keeping his weight down is really important. Have you got a phone oh, no. map? No, I need, they're so expensive. This is the problem. I know. I got mine off eBay. Did it was you? expensive, but like it was kind of the same price as the course. But I was like, oh, it looks like so much fun. So I got one and I've been playing with it. Let's do it. No, it's on my list. I really do need to get one. It's just, yeah, I've just spent, and because I've been in lockdown, I haven't been able to work very much this year. We've been locked down so much. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on my list. I think they are really useful tools. So I'd like to know, how would you summarize your own personal training approach or philosophy with horses? And I think you've already spoken about positive reinforcement. Can you, but can you elaborate on like your own style? I think it's always changing and evolving depending on which horse you because you know you must know the same you work with um 10 horses and what you're doing works for nine of them and then you get to one and you have to to find something else that works um so I don't know I guess it's just positive positive reinforcement and adaptable I like I I am really um obviously very science-based with with all of it but also I really am into the spiritual side um I think energy work and mindfulness are, are really important components of horsemanship kind of thinking about your breathing when you're with them your mindset um so it's some weird mix of science and woo-woo I think that's what they call it <laughs> I like that <laughs> being adaptable like you must find it as well it's just you're constantly learning and changing and you know if I look at my training approach even a year ago it's different to, to now um so yeah and I think that's important too is just keeping an open mind about everything absolutely yes I do think you need to stay open-minded about everything and be ready to adapt and change depending on the horse that's in front of you and I feel the same with you how I trained a year ago is different to today and it will probably be different in another year's time so we're just constantly evolving and I don't think that will ever end I don't think you know the point where you're like I know it all now (laughs) you're just yeah I agree (laughs) I agree so what advice do you think people should ignore when it comes to horses? Well, I actually, thinking about this question, I think just ignore any unsolicited advice. Um, because for me, I just found that that was the biggest damage to my confidence um, when I first got to because I got so much of it and it was all conflicting. Um, so I think, you know, unless you're asking somebody for their advice and you'll usually ask somebody who you um trust and you know probably a professional like a vet or your trainer or farrier um you know kind of trusting that person it's just I just found it so confusing and a lot of horse people and I find myself you know almost doing it sometimes you know and I think unless someone's asking you or your advice don't give it and then if you need advice ask somebody that you you know that you're really going to trust and know knows their stuff I think that is important absolutely everyone's on their own journey and I know what you mean it's hard when you're at and you know a show or something and someone can't get their horse in the float and you just really want to help them but (laughs) you know I think yeah you you need to wait until someone asks you before you can offer your advice I'm on the same page with you there 
Yeah, it, it's so hard, but I just, I see it all the time, you know, and with clients all the time, they're so confused because, you know, it, they're hearing six different things um, about their horse's behaviour or, you know, something they're struggling with. And it, it just causes so much confusion. And I feel like it's especially um, the case in the horse industry. I don't know why, but it's, it seems that everyone has an opinion on everything and wants to tell you. What were people telling you when you first got Teo that was so confusing? Oh, my gosh. Um, he's having you on. He's dangerous. He's walking all over you. Um, you should put a chifney on him. Um, What's a chifney? Oh, so, oh. Um, <laughs> they're, they're metal kind of rings that you oh, put like into a- their mouth. Like a rearing bit? We call it a rearing yes. bit. Yes, yeah, I would assume. And it just, you know, but then my farrier said to me, you know, kind of, God, never put a chiffney on him. If he'll break his jaw because he'll yeah. just bolt. I mean, I never would anyway. No. But, um, my mum my went into a tack shop for me and said, um, I can't remember what I sent her in to buy, but she said to the girls, you know, oh, she's bought this new horse. It's been really difficult. Oh, no. She came home with a chiffney. I was like, you take that back. <laughs> not, I never, I never you know but it just shows you know again advice she's not horsey she, she yeah. didn't know um but yeah I, I so many different things honestly it's emotional and actually I think it all stemmed from a traumatic weaning and joint problems all of his behavioral problems kind of the root cause was that so wow. you know it, it's it was a tricky time yeah I cried a lot yeah <laughs> Mm, and I'm just thinking about all the people that are getting training advice from the tax store salesperson. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then, you know, but also even sometimes vets, you know, the, the advice my vets were giving me about his behaviour was not anything that now I would kind of support at all. The tricky and one, I, I think his behaviour isn't really their expertise. No, but a lot of people will listen, you know, to them because you know, they are the experts mm. on horse health and things. And I, I mm. think it's good now that there's more knowledge out there, but there definitely needs to be more from all professionals, I think, on Absolutely. horse behaviour. I do think it's evolving slowly, though, which is a good thing. Yeah. So definitely. can you tell us something you once did with horses that you now no longer do? And why is that? This is a tricky one. The kind of first thing I thought about was I used to... Um, put jumps up really really high just to show that I could and that I was you know brave um just so that I could get the picture on Facebook or Instagram um which obviously is I feel really bad about now and I think kind of having a horse with joint issues has made me reassess a lot of things like that you know trotting and cantering on very hard ground absolute no um you know, I'm very, very picky about the ground I use with him. Um, and yeah, if I would, if I ever get another horse that I can jump, I will not ever, um, you know, do things for my ego. Definitely horse first. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I've seen you post about that on Instagram, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And that it's just, you see it a lot I see it and it's a lot with young equestrians and I, and that was me I was doing those things and I wasn't thinking about the horse at all um and I think that's just it is partly being young and it's partly the equestrian environment you know it's better now than it was then but I still see it you know kind of 
whacking jumps right to the top of the wings just to prove you can you know and the, you know on a horse that's probably not fit enough and strong enough or maybe not the kind of horse that's bred for jumping that big mm. um all and of then that they makes go a difference. the horse and then create other issues and yeah all for yeah. instagram <laughs> all for instagram i know <laughs> So on another note, what are your thoughts on the bits versus bitless debate? Well, I think if I didn't own Teo, um, I would probably be against bits. Um, but again, you know, he, I have to use one with him out hacking because if he sees another horse and we're on our own, he lose, you know, he's just it's still quite a new thing for us to be out on our own and he has bolted before and fractured my back. So, you know, sometimes I can't control the environment, you know, you can, I can keep him calm um, if I can control everything and, and he's very safe and I can't, I hacked him bitless for a long time. Um, but, you know, kind of when I break my back, that just proved to me that I can't always control everything and he's got very deep rooted trauma Mm -hmm. that I can't fix completely at the moment maybe one day um but I think it's more important about the hands that use it and I really like the quote um only those that yeah only those that don't need one should use a bit because I think you know it can inflict pain they've done so many studies on that but I know that Teo isn't uncomfortable with a bit in his mouth he doesn't show any signs of um, kind of stress signals or discomfort I'm so aware when I'm holding the reins you know and most of the time they're just completely loose just one hand but it's there in an emergency if I need it and I would rather that I put a feel on that than him gallop three miles home over concrete you know I think that would be more detrimental to him or you know heaven forbid, he could hurt somebody. Um, he, could even, he could get hit by a car yeah. I think you always have to weigh up. And, and you know, again, if I was somebody looking at me, I would say, well, she needs a bit for control. But, you know, what's the alternative? You leave them in a field and, you know, maybe I'll need to use it for control once in six months yeah. when we come across a horse out hacking. It's just it's not like you're holding on to him the whole time. No, and I think you have to be realistic. And he's really taught me that because, as I said, if I didn't own him, I would probably, you know, well, right. But, <laughs> it's individual circumstances it's where you're hacking if you have to go down a main road you know mm. you know there's there's got to be a sense kind of being realistic about it and I've had a lot of conversations like this with people and I just kind of yeah I think having I felt very pressured to be bitless all the time and that's why I was bitless all the time I'm always bitless in the arena absolutely because I feel you know there's no way he can go there but um I did, you know, he did bolt and I fractured my back. So <laughs> now that's, that's, yeah, that's what we do. I think it's interesting that you were pressured to be bitless. I feel like it's often the other way around. Like I would get strange looks for riding bitless out, you know, in public. Yeah. So well, this is more from Instagram, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> being being positive reinforcement, it, you know, I would love to be bitless all the time in an ideal world. And I do, you know, there's often posts about it. And again, you know, I feel like I have to defend myself about yeah. it. But, you know, if I look at 
at how little pressure I use. I so rarely, I barely even hold the reins, you know, and, and I, act, I put a head collar underneath so I can clip, you know, yeah. I'll often ride in the head collar and then clip to the bit if I need it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. I'm doing what I believe is best for me and him. And I think with owners, you're the one that loves them. You're not going to, it's very easy to look at somebody and think for anything, you know, well, I wouldn't do that, but you have to trust yeah. the person that loves that horse, you know, that's yeah. important, I think. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's just an individual thing, you know, it depends on the horse. So yeah, yeah. I know what you said about that. Um, so what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making with horses? Um, I think um, forcing something uh, if the horse doesn't understand it, um, when they'll kind of willingly offer if you set up the situation correctly. Mm-hmm. So um, often, I know I did this um, when I was kind of uh, in a previous life um, yeah. Yeah. in a riding school. Yeah. And we'd be working on something like shoulder in and the horse wouldn't do it. So you kind of increase pressure and pull this rein and kick that leg. Um you know, instead of, you know, and then the horse, I remember I had one lesson where my instructor said, look, just stop Lucy, because she's going to chuck you off in a minute. You know, understandably, because I was just pulling this way and kicking that leg, and she had no idea what I was talking about. Whereas now, you know, I would just set it up really easy, twist your pelvis, and then the horse follow, you know, it's just things like that. I think I see a lot getting frustrated when instead of applying more pressure think okay what can I do to make this clearer to the horse how can I set this up so that that is their answer to to the problem absolutely it might sound bizarre but I actually taught my horses lateral work at the halt first because it's like can you put your shoulders here great can you put your hindquarters here great now what about a bit of flexion awesome all of those parts work independently that's super now we can try the walk (laughs) that's such a good idea definitely and I think there's always you know it's just kind of horses do push you to be creative to think outside the box and as you'll know you know when you um meet new horses all the time you always have to find another way to do something and and that's great I love the challenge of that so what is something that you believe is true that a lot of horse people disagree with um probably that a horse is stressed in certain situations. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but the one thing I've really had to kind of fight about is when I'm saying Teo's stressed, people are like, no, he's not, he's fine. You know, because they don't understand calming signals. They don't necessarily, they'll see a stressed horse as one that is running around, screaming their head off, tail in the air, very tense. But, you know, for Teo, he's stressed if he walks around his box once you know, or he rubs his head on his leg, um, really, or he's blinking a lot and, and or eating very fast, you know, to, that is a stressed horse. Um, and I just, I constantly am having to, all through, I mean, he was very obvious in the beginning, whereas now, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, he's stressed. I need to do something about it because I know that if I don't at that early stage, it's going to escalate. And then once he goes over his threshold, that's it you know it takes a lot to then bring him down again so that's probably I think you know and and at teaching as well you know you see it all the time 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, often when I'm out with kind of new people that aren't familiar with my way of training, they'll say, oh, your horse is so calm. And I'm like, this is her stressed. Like she's stressed yeah. right now. <laughs> um, totally. But on that question, I'd like to know from you, um, you mentioned stress signals and calming signals. Do you mm. think horses can have their own independent stress and calming signals like that's unique to them? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I think that they put, well, I know that with Teo and with other horses I work with, they'll have kind of a go-to signal that might differ from another horse. But I think it's always within the list of particular signals. So Teo is a box walker. He doesn't weave. Um, whereas there's another horse on the yard that weaves. So that's his go-to kind of coping mechanism, I guess. Um, yeah, and Teo's also is to, if he gets pushed over threshold, he just bolts he's gone mm. um, whereas another horse might rear up you know it's kind of individual like Teo very rarely will rear as an option yeah. um, um but you know they they all have their different signals I think yeah and some are very mouthy or you know some are tail swishes kind of thing so yeah, yeah exactly they each have their own kind of go-to um signal definitely so on another note, what horse-related purchase has most positively impacted your life in the last 12 months? So does this have to be a Teo um, product or something? It can be in general. anything horsey in general. Okay, definitely fleece line chaps. Oh my goodness, so this winter, my legs have been so warm. Every other winter I've got home and they've just been frozen. Um, and it's taken me hours and hours to warm up. And, you know, you can't get in the shower when you get home because it would just burn your skin because it's, I mean, it's very cold here. You probably don't have this problem. <laughs> no, I don't think they even sell fleece line chaps in Australia. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. You have no idea. Honestly, our winter goes on forever. But anyway, this is the first year because I've put so much money into Teo. I mean, he gets most of it just to keep him going. I very rarely buy anything for myself. Um, and this year I was like, no, I really, especially when you're out teaching all day in the freezing cold and wind, I was like, no, this year I'm going to really treat myself. And yeah, best thing I've ever bought. We don't have fleece lined caps, but we do have fleece lined breeches. Have you got those? No, I, that's next on my list, actually. I, I've heard good. that they're very good. Good combination together. I mean, it does get cold here in Australia in the winter and I'm in Adelaide, which is at the bottom, so closer to like more cold areas, I guess. Um, but it doesn't really get below zero, like ever. So, and I've never seen the snow. So, well, again, That's not a bad thing. Snow is amazing unless you have horses and then it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. How do you even go like, you know, doing work with your horse in the snow? Well, Teo's barefoot, so luckily I, was, I could take him out hacking, but it, it's just, it freezes the ground, and because we have so much rain, the fields are really rutted, um, so it makes it, you know, a nightmare, and most people don't even turn their horses out when it's snowing here. I, mean, I think it's different if you're, you know, in Sweden or somewhere where you have snow for months on end, and the horses are used to it, and, you know, it's a, bit, it's a nightmare even trying to get to the stables, because all the roads are icy and we're just not prepared for it here because we only really get it once a year wow um, yeah it's a nightmare mm. 
Yes. Well, we do have like week long heat waves here, which can be a struggle for the horses. So yes. <laughs> and for the humans. That's true. That's true. So if you could have dinner with any three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? So um, I think I would very much like to have dinner with Kathy Sierra. I think she's awesome. And hopefully I'll get to meet her one day. Um, also Tara from Unbridled Goddess and Emily Frost from Kiros Way. Because I just think they'd have such interesting conversations, especially as Kathy's very science-based and mm-hmm. Tara and Emily are kind of more spiritual. I just think I'd just like to watch that dinner party. I think it would be really interesting. That would be super interesting. And I've got Tara coming up on the podcast, so that's going to be really Happy. good. Yeah. Ah, she's amazing. I'm really hoping to go and visit her as well at some point. I had planned for this summer, but because of COVID, there's no traveling. Yeah, it's, uh, it does suck. I did plan to go to Europe last year, actually, but obviously COVID ruined that. <laughs> yeah, anyway. definitely. Um, if you could turn back the time and talk to yourself 10 or 20 years ago, what would you tell yourself and why? Um, so to look after myself more, so going back to the workaholic thing, um, because always put my work, um, and, oh, I always put my work and Teo first. I got really ill. I got the chronic fatigue because I was getting up at, I think five o'clock or four thirty to do him before going up to London working a full day I used to not finish work till 11 o'clock in the evening sometimes and then I'd do it all again um and I think you can't give your horse what they need if you're not kind of in a good place yourself so I definitely would tell myself to have a better work-life balance definitely yeah Hmm. sounds like that's something you're still kind of working on as well do you still have the chronic fatigue or is it something you have to manage how does that work yeah it's really hard because (laughs) I also have thyroid and vitamin d like problems going on so I'm not sure how much of it is the chronic fatigue and how much of it is that um I'm a lot better than I was before I mean I'm getting better all the time so hopefully it will just but I, I I relapse when I slip back into that workaholic mode which is really hard you know I just yeah I need to and rest I find resting really difficult Mm, probably like a lot of horse people I was going to say you're not alone on that one I'm exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) um how are you continuing to learn about horses what are you currently studying how often do you have a coach can you tell us more about that so um, annoyingly, I can't really have lessons with Teo because of his joints. He just, I never know which is a good day for him. And he could only really do half an hour anyway, um, which is a shame because I would love to go out, take him out to clinics. Um, I did that when I got him. Um, but I'm obviously learning from Teo every day. He's my constant. Um, I have a new problem with him all the time. You know, he just, he keeps me picking over and, um, I learn from clients' horses, like I'm sure you do as well, um, all the time. Um, Instagram is just a constant source of inspiration and knowledge. Um, I also read a lot of research papers. I find on the Facebook groups um, a lot of the time um, on some of those, there are some really interesting articles that are posted there um, and also books. Um, I've got the connection training book that I'm going to start reading Um and obviously Kathy Sierra's courses um, her intrinsic course, I think, which is closed now. Um, I've done that and the pain science course, which I'm still halfway through, which I need to do. I just find 
but I think care needs to be in a good place for me to do you know to keep yeah. and because it's been kind of up and down this year um so I've got that um and I really want to get out and do uh, I want to do some body work courses I'm really oh. interested in that to, to I think there's just so many things you can do it's really hard to just focus on one thing um oh. because like you must be the same but I've gone I went um to a local classical dressage uh, oh, cool. school, and I did um I had a lesson there and I want to have more but obviously we've had lockdown um so I haven't been able to and I found that really interesting that's really what I want to develop I think is my dressage I would love to get to a higher level with that um that's that's the aim anyway yeah, nice who was the classical trainer that you went to or uh, so Alex Gash, she's um, she runs a Le Monde uh, riding school here. Um, it's quite well known locally, and I've got a pocket of clients, so I go and do a clinic, and then I have a lesson on the way home. Oh, that's um, great! So yeah, it's good, and I know it kind of it, it's the opposite of kind of the the what Kathy's doing. Yeah. But the reason the reason I want to do it is so I can learn the movements, and then I can work out. I know what to feel and I can kind of find my own way to do it that's but you know you need to have a horse that's capable and at that level of training and I just I can't afford a second horse at the moment and yeah you know to get another horse to the level where you can start learning those things I just don't have time mm, to and sometimes to learn on a horse that already is familiar with those movements as well rather than teaching them exactly. those exactly now yeah. who was the author of the connection training book that you mentioned so Hannah Weston, oh my gosh, so I'm going to have a brain block. Hannah Weston and somebody else. Oh, no, I can I look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. I haven't started it yet. I've had it on my um, iPad for a year. I just have, I said other things. You know, you have to be in the right place to, to take in new knowledge, I think. That's so true. And which were the Facebook groups that you mentioned? So Empowered Equestrians, uh, mm-hmm. or Empowered Equines, um, and Clicker Training Horses, there's always great articles that come up in those. Um, I'm not on Facebook very much um, because I think for mental health and things, I've, yeah. I've taken it off my phone. But when I am on there, um, I just, I don't know about you, but I find Instagram is a very positive place, whereas yeah. Facebook can sometimes be quite dark. <laughs> with Absolutely, this. I have found that. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was something else when you mentioned the connection training, Kathy Sierra, Facebook groups. Oh, you mentioned, um, yeah, you've got to be in the right headspace to learn new things. I mm-hmm. will like hear of a book. Someone will come on my podcast and recommend a book and I'll buy the book and I'll start reading it. And then someone else will mention a course and I'll buy that course and I'll start that. It's so hard. Yeah. Because you want to learn from everyone. You want to absorb as much knowledge as possible, but sometimes you just need to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, definitely. Especially because sometimes it is conflicting and you need to yeah. kind of work out in your head, you know, and test it for yourself on your horse. I think that's really important. And um, I love to get Taylor's feedback on things that I'm, that I'm doing. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I used to get quite confused and conflicted when I would 
you know, read almost polar opposite opinions on training. And now I've kind of accepted that, nope, everyone's on their own journey. I'm on my own journey. I'm just taking bits and pieces from everyone else and, you know, creating my my own style of what I need and what my horses need and what my clients' horses need. So exactly, it's really good. Very important. So who, I mean, you've already mentioned a few people, but is there anyone else who is your current inspiration? Like even on Instagram, who do you follow? Who do you admire? Oh, so many people. Everyone I follow, um, basically, some people are really big trainers. Some are clients, you know, friends uh, who are doing really good things. Uh, Obviously, Nora, Horse Balance. I was really lucky to go and visit her a few years ago. Um, And yeah, she's, I think what she does is amazing. As Anya Baram, I follow her. Oh, she's amazing. I do one of her courses. Um, Yeah, she... She obviously, I, I love her work. It's so soft and like, mm. I just think that, um, gosh, so many people. Ava Romat, I was again very lucky to go and um, meet her a few years ago. I love her work um, with Sheilas. It's amazing to get a halflinger to do anything in a neck rope on grass, I think is amazing. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's so many people um, that, are doing amazing things with horses at different ends of the spec you know some using negative reinforcements some using positive reinforcements some yeah. using but you know it's just I think you have to look at the horse at how they feel about what's being done to them and I always look at that I don't look at what trick someone's doing or what movement I will look at what the horse thinks about what what's going on and then kind of if the horse is happy and willing then I'm very much inspired um things Mm, yes Yes. and I guess we're always experimenting really even though we might have our own system or our own tools in our toolbox we are practicing them we are applying them and seeing how the horse responds to that and then uh, pivoting and reapproaching in in what the horse needs so yeah, yeah, I do like drawing inspiration from lots of different people, as do you. And I love that you mentioned Anya because I do have her lateral movements course. It's very good. And, very good. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit of an Anya addict. Um, <laughs> so I she, get that. <laughs> she just did a podcast on an episode, an interview on, it's called um, Come Along for the Ride. I think that's the name of the podcast. It's very oh, good. Yeah. It was only released about a week ago. So definitely have a oh, listen definitely to that check one. that out. Thank you. Um, now, if your horses could talk with words, what do you think they would say to you? I mean, not horses, Tao. Um, if your horse could talk with words, what do you think he would say to you and what would you like to say to him? Well, he would definitely say, let me eat more grass. <laughs> that would be, that is everything with him is about food. Um, and, you know, that is probably the only time I really say no to him, you know, if he's got to be muzzled, sorry, he needs to be muzzled. Um, and out hacking, you know, yes, you can have some, I always let him eat something, but not the whole time. Otherwise we would never move. So that is our biggest sticking point. I think that we kind of have discussions about sometimes. <laughs> um, and um, for me, I would probably say to him, stop being mean to other horses because he can he can be really mean I had him tested um to see if he's a rig uh, last year because he was exhibiting a lot of stallion like behaviors um 
especially, you know, breaking into the field with the mares and charging off the gelding that was in there with them. Um, and, and that causes me the biggest amount of stress because it's he's constantly stressed if there's mares in season. And, you know, I'm worrying, is he going to get kicked? Is he going to kick another horse? Um, so that would probably be it. Although he is managed now, he's on a supplement and we've moved him right away from the mares. Um, so... <laughs> That seems to have worked touch wood for now. That's good. Um, just something that popped up then when um, you were saying how he's motivated by food. I wonder if you came across a horse that was not food motivated, would you consider doing like purely negative reinforcement? I think I would probably have them investigated for ulcers first okay. because I think that can be a really key reason why they're not interested in food I mean most horses are although there is a horse on our yard that is not food motivated and ah. um, and he does have ulcers and they're being treated um so I just think that's interesting and I wonder if afterwards he would be and um, I would try desperately to find something that they want if that's mince or carrot apple I would try everything first because I just find I'm more comfortable using it and I just find it works so well mm. over. But then I would, if, if all else failed, then yes, I would. Um, and sometimes you have to, you know, if there's an emergency situation, like I had a horse that desperately needed eye drops in his eye. He had an eye infection. He was rearing up. He was very stressed about the whole thing. He was being dangerous. I mix negative and positive reinforcement for that kind of thing because it's fine sensitive. I would love to do it slowly at the horse's pace and, yeah. You know, but yeah. we, we mix both and it worked. He he had the eye drops in um in 20 minutes, I think it took. Um, you know, because that, you know, was the better option at in my opinion at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there's definitely situations and and certain horses where yeah, and I have to use negative reinforcement with Teo sometimes with grass, otherwise we would never <laughs> move. <laughs> we would literally just stay in one place and eat you know it just depends on the horse um yeah yeah I do wonder though when people say oh I can't use positive reinforcement because my horse isn't motivated by food and I'm like but they're horses they eat most of the yeah. time like <laughs> yeah. no exactly you know have a bag of grass I'm sure that's, yeah. <laughs> you know it, it is hard it's it's one of those you know you just have to do the best you can yeah. at the time and and yeah, as long as you're putting the horse first, then yeah, I think that you can't really go wrong. That's it. And I'm a believer that, you know, 90, probably 95% of people love their horses and they're just trying to do yeah. the right thing by them and they just don't know a better way yet. And I'm probably yeah. in that category as well. So. <laughs> but um, me too, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a journey, it's growing. And as long as you love the horse, Again, you can't yeah. go wrong. You, you're doing the best you can. They're yeah. very forgiving. You know, yes. some of the things I did in the early days of the tail, I'm horrified about, and I'm still having to pay for those mistakes. But mm. I did them in what I believed at the time was the best. Yeah. The best thing for him. And yeah. Yeah. We live and learn. So can you tell us what is next for you and where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? What is your ultimate goal with horses? Well, I would love to be able to travel and teach. I love traveling. Um, 
and I haven't really been able to do it much since I've had Teo because he's so high maintenance I'm scared to ever leave him um yeah that that would be my goal is to be able to um kind of yeah go go around the world meet lots of different people meet lots of different horses um be inspired by different people and I guess my ultimate goal would be to um get to a high level of dressage by Dolith. I would really love to do that as you know using positive reinforcement training everything you know kind of having them offer it first yes. um so that's yes. my life goal but obviously I need a horse that can do that yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that might be on the cards then at some point <laughs> I hope so I hope so I would love to be able to ride Grand Prix with a neck rope as well I think that would be so cool or I even no that. neck rope that would be the ultimate <laughs> yeah and I have a horse really willing you know yes. wanting to just yeah. nothing beats that feeling Teo loves you know when he goes into his extended trot he just <laughs> absolutely flies and I would just I would love that you know to mm. keep keep progressing um but yeah with a horse that I just I it's not fair to ask him to do more I don't think yeah yeah okay so before we wrap up can you tell us where our guests can find out more about you so I probably my Facebook page, Lucy Chester Horsemanship, um, or my Instagram, which is the same, Lucy Chester Horsemanship, um, is where I post kind of more educational bits and pieces. And then obviously my main Instagram with me and Teo is Halflinger at Liberty is our handle there. I do have a website, but it's very out of date. I need to, I'm waiting for my new computer to like and update it. Well, tell us what it is anyway, because in, it'll be in the show notes. And if you update it in the future, people can access it. <laughs> Thank you. So it's um, www.lucychesterhorsemanship.com. Okay. One of the two. But yeah, okay. very update. <laughs> That's all good. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It was a really interesting chat. I just love connecting with horse trainers like yourself. And I'm sure I'll continue to follow your journey on Instagram, even though you're not as active now. But um, yeah, really looking forward to it. I will be after lockdown when I can actually get some photos and video footage, then yeah, then I will be posting more. And my new computer so I can edit it. Yes, I'm excited to see what you get up to with Teo in the future and perhaps a new horse. We'll see what happens. And if you ever teach overseas, you'll have to come to Australia and do a clinic one day. Yeah, I think, well, you're very welcome to come here if, um, if you make your way to London. That would be amazing. Well, thank yeah, you again. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com.